Hello, this is Dr. Nasir Gami, and you're listening to the Gami Psychiatry Podcast. Scientific, humanistic, and not the conventional wisdom. Hi, this is Dr. Nasir Gami. Um, today I want to speak to you about DSM, which is the Diagnostic System used in contemporary psychiatry. It stands for a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And we now have the fifth edition of it. The big change uh, famously happened in 1980 with the third edition called DSM-3. And just as a little background, the reason it's called statistical is not because they do any statistics. It's just because it was meant to capture the number of patients diagnosed with different conditions for state hospital symptoms back in the 1950s. So statistics just meant counting uh, people. Uh, It really is just a diagnostic manual. And it wasn't really important in psychiatry in the 1950s and 60s when the first and second editions were created in 1952 and 1968, respectively, um, and really was ignored into the 1970s until the third edition in 1980. What happened in the 1970s was that the new medications had been developed in the prior decade or two and were becoming widely used by clinicians, that is, the new antidepressants and antipsychotics and lithium. And clinicians wanted to know which patients should receive these medications. They tended to give them for depression and schizophrenia and manic depressive illness, respectively. And the diagnostic system uh, was confusing at the time because people use these terms in different ways. Most of psychiatry was very psychoanalytic or Freudian in the 1960s and 70s. Most of the leaders, the chairman of the departments, the leadership of the American Psychiatric Association, they were Freudian. They didn't use any of these terms or any of these drugs. And they tended to think about people in terms of the Oedipus complex or oral, anal, and Oedipal stages of development. And they generally gave people long-term psychoanalytic psychotherapy for their various problems. The kinds of diagnoses they made, if they made any, were things like neurotic depression, which tended to mean people who had unconscious emotional problems, which led to their anxiety and depression. The use of the medications, though, in the 60s and 70s was a new challenge to American psychiatry which was so psychoanalytic. And some of the leaders of the new approach in psychiatry, which involved using medications, were interested in approaches to diagnosis that were non-Freudian. And these dated to the great leader of uh, German psychiatry of the late 19th century, Emil Kreplin. Kreplin had diagnosed patients primarily in two major groups, dementia precox, which later got called schizophrenia uh, and involved chronic psychosis and a declining function, and uh, manic depressive illness, which later got divided into bipolar and unipolar groups. So some psychiatrists legitimately said, well, why don't we look at Kreplin's diagnostic system, study it, and see if it seems to be supported, and then we could use it instead of or in addition to these Freudian concepts which weren't really proven, but which were just widely used. So the initial impetus to DSM-3 in the 1970s, which actually got captured in a system called the Research Diagnostic Criteria, the RDC, 
was to do research on diagnostic concepts, see which ones of them were scientifically sound, and then define them. This seems really rational. Um, and the group that led this uh, approach was famously located in St. Louis at the Washington University. And um, they did some research. They came up with their criteria for the RDC. They had about 20 diagnoses there. And those are the ones that we're somewhat familiar with and still use today. Things like bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, schizophrenia, uh, and so on. And uh, the 20 diagnoses they felt, felt was scientifically legitimate. Now, we won't get into in this uh, podcast what they meant by that in detail. But let me just comment that uh, scientific legitimacy for diagnosis means you have to show that certain symptoms differ from other symptoms based on some independent criterion. It can't be just that the symptoms are different. That's not enough to say that diagnoses uh, are different because their symptoms are different. There are many diseases in medicine whose symptoms actually are the same as other diseases. And there are diseases whose symptoms differ from other diseases. The symptoms by themselves don't tell you that you're dealing with different diseases or different diagnoses. In medicine, you tend to look at pathology, which is abnormalities in the organ of the body. So for instance, if I have a fever and I have cancer in my body, the cancer is causing the fever. But if I have fever and I don't have cancer in my body, but instead I have lung inflammation, then pneumonia is causing the fever. The symptom is the same, but the diseases are different. Well, in psychiatry, uh, we did not have pathology. We couldn't look at the brain and show differences in the brain um, in that period of time. and still mostly can't. And so it was accepted that other uh, features of a diagnosis should be used to validate whether certain symptoms reflect one diagnosis versus another. And those features included the genetics of the person's family, the course of their illness, meaning what age it started, whether it was episodic or chronic, how long the episodes lasted, and whether there was improvement, the outcome. So the course of the illness and the genetics were the two main validators independent of symptoms. Biological markers also were a validator, but uh, were not um, proven useful at the time. So these researchers looked at course of illness and genetics to show and to argue that diagnoses like major depressive disorder, quote unquote, MDD, and bipolar disorder and schizophrenia were different. Um, and as I said, they came up with about 20 of them. Um, one of the people who collaborated with them was Robert Spitzer, who was a New York psychiatrist who became the chairman of the, the uh, DSM task force for the third edition. And Spitzer started with those 20 diagnoses and within a few years, as the DSM task force did its work, he came up with 292. Now, it wasn't the case that suddenly 270 diagnoses were discovered in two or three years. Rather, they were just invented. And that's the problem with DSM. That's why I say DSM is mostly false. It's obviously mostly false once you understand the history of it, because you can't scientifically discover and prove 270 diagnoses in two years as Spitzer and the DSM-3 task force did. 
And they did not claim that those diagnoses were legitimately valid scientifically. They differentiated reliability from validity. Reliability means that we agree on what we term things, that our definitions reflect the same criteria using DSM terms. Validity means that those the definitions are true, that they reflect something real. They reflect something, for instance, biologically real in the real world. No one ever claimed that the DSM diagnoses were valid, and no one has ever proven that the majority of DSM diagnoses are valid. In fact, many of them have been disproven and shown to be invalid. They don't exist in the real world, yet we still keep them. All they did was to agree on the definitions. That's like a dictionary. You agree on how you define things. But there are things in the dictionary that are false, like unicorns. You can define a unicorn, but there is no such thing as a unicorn in reality. And it's the same with DSM diagnoses. You can define them as carefully as you'd like. That doesn't mean they're true. Now, the DSM-3 leaders admitted this and said, well, we'll define them reliably, and then we'll study them over the next de decade or two, and then we'll revise the DSM and change the diagnostic criteria based on what's true or not, based on what's valid. The problem is 14 years passed and the fourth edition of DSM came out in 1994. And then almost 40 years passed and the fifth edition of DSM came out in 2013. And very few changes were made. If you look at the fourth edition of DSM compared to the third, 292 diagnoses became about 360. Most of them were kept as they were, some more were added. DSM-5, the fifth edition compared to the fourth, is 90% the same, very minor changes were made. We still have almost 400 diagnoses now. Almost nothing was changed for major depressive disorder compared to 1980. The personality disorders were going to be changed, but then the APA Board of Trustees are, uh, suddenly decided to not change them at all for the fifth edition the week before it went to publication because there was a letter writing campaign complaining about proposed changes based on research. So they've kept it the same exactly as in 1980. Did we suddenly discover everything correctly in 1980? And now all we have to do is repeat ourselves for the next 40 years? Is that the way science works? You say something and you never make any changes? Actually, science is all about making changes rapidly based on research. And that's another reason why DSM is mostly false is that it's not based on research. It's not mostly based on research. I had some debates with the leader of the fourth edition of DSM, Alan Francis, in Psychology Today. And he admitted in those debates that the primary criterion for making changes in DSM is not scientific research. It's what he called pragmatism, quote unquote, pragmatism, which means what the APA leaders and the DSM leaders think will produce the best practical consequences for the psychiatric profession and for society. This is their opinion about what they think is best for people, not necessarily what's true. And sometimes they ignore what's true because they think it's not good for people. For instance, take a minor example. Hypomania is defined in DSM as lasting four days. There's not a single study ever conducted in human history that ever showed that hypomania legitimately, legitimately should be defined as lasting four days. There are studies that show that it should be defined, if at all, as lasting two days. Those studies were ignored by the DSM-5 task force, and it was left at four days.
because they don't want people to diagnose hypomania much. Why? Yeah, who knows? They don't like it. They don't want medications that are have side effects prescribed for it. That's what the some of the DSM-4 leaders said in writing in our Psychology Today debates when I asked them about these kinds of issues. In other words, DSM is a social construction. That's a postmodernist phrase, which means there's no truth. There's only what people believe. There's only what society has a consensus about. The DSM leaders, the APA leaders have argued that since we don't know what the real diagnoses are in the real world, let's just agree on a consensus. In other words, let's make things up and agree among ourselves that this is how we're gonna call things. That's what DSM diagnoses are. They're not based on our best research. They're based on the pragmatic belief system of the American psychiatric leadership. And uh, this has led to a lack of change in the dictionary of DSM-3 from the 1970s to the Bible of DSM-4 and 5 of the last few decades. When you start worshiping in a dictionary, you're not going to make changes to it. And if you don't make changes to it, then you're not engaging in a scientific process, which involves making changes. Many people call DSM the Bible of psychiatry. Well, that's exactly why it's not scientific. We worship the DSM. We don't want to make changes. And that is an anti-scientific attitude. In fact, the leaders of DSM 4 and 5 told their task forces, make as few changes as possible. And if you have to make any changes, make sure there's a huge amount of scientific evidence to support it. Well, that's the opposite of the scientific attitude. The scientific attitude is make as many changes as possible based on our best science. You don't need a huge amount of evidence to support the changes. You just have to go with whatever the best evidence is that we have. They didn't have a huge amount of evidence in the 1970s for the 300 diagnoses that they made then that we've worshiped and repeated for the last 40 years. They didn't have a huge amount of evidence. So why do we need a huge, much huge amount of evidence now? That's what I call DSM conservatism. The DSM leadership and the APA in general has become conservative over time, refusing to make changes in DSM uh, or to make major changes and often making minor changes uh, only very reluctantly um, when there's huge amounts of evidence. And what's interesting about this though is because it's a social construction, sometimes the APA leadership makes major changes without any evidence at all or hardly any. Take, for instance, the diagnosis of dysphoric mood dysregulation disorder, which was invented for DSM-5. The whole concept came from only one research group at the NIMH. Nobody else had ever defined it or found much evidence to support it. And the APA leadership stated, it admitted in the DSM-5 document, that this diagnosis was created to discourage clinicians from diagnosing bipolar disorder in children. While many clinicians were unhappy about diagnosing bipolar illness in children, many academics were very opposed to it. Because of these opinions, they decided to make up a diagnosis to give clinicians an alternative so as to, in, in, in effect, uh, push clinicians to making this other made-up diagnosis of DMDD as opposed to diagnosing bipolar illness in children. Now, you may or may not agree with that, but really it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. What should have been done is to base the decision based on the scientific research about whether bipolar illness happens in children and what it looks like. But that's not the approach that DSM took. 
It doesn't define bipolar illness in children at all, as if it never happens at all. One could give many other examples, but I'm going to stop here for the purposes of this podcast and say that because DSM is primarily a social construction, because it is based primarily on pragmatism, not science, as the defining reason to make changes or not, uh, and uh, because it has become a Bible instead of a dictionary, and we have become more and more conservative and made fewer and fewer changes, the DSM has become increasingly unscientific over time. It was mostly false to begin with, and it's even more so now. And uh, the NIMH, the National Institute of Mental Health, admitted as much when the fifth edition of DSM was published in 2013, when the NIMH publicly stated that DSM had failed for scientific research for four decades, and therefore they would no longer use DSM criteria for most research studies at the NIMH. That was a correct statement. If you make diagnoses up based on the preferences of the psychiatric profession, it's not going to correlate with genetics. It's not going to correlate with neuroimaging, and it's not going to correlate with pharmacology and drug receptors because nature or whoever created drug receptors and genes and uh, brain uh, patterns doesn't care what the American psychiatric profession thinks about uh, diagnostic systems. It doesn't base its biological features on the preferences of the American psychiatric profession. That's why scientific research has failed in the last 40 years using DSM criteria, and it is doomed to fail using DSM criteria. And the NIMH no longer uses those criteria, whereas before, the NIMH would not grant any uh, funds for research if researchers did not use DSM criteria. So it went from requiring DSM criteria to now prohibiting them, which just goes to show you how um, disorganized really the profession has been instead of really strictly relying on science, on scientific criteria, nothing else, not the preferences of the profession, not what clinicians like, not belief systems of uh, Freudians or non-Freudians, but simply scientific uh, methods. And the, the profession hasn't done that and we've suffered as a consequence. Psychiatry is the only profession in medicine which has its professional organization enforce diagnostic criteria on the whole profession and to do so without primarily using scientific research as the basis for those criteria. So for all these reasons, I think that DSM is a major problem for the psychiatric profession. It's mostly false, it's mostly unscientific, and we need to get away from it. Now you might ask how, that would be another podcast topic, but one approach, which is a very simple one, is to try to do what the old RDC did, the research diagnostic criteria, and simply base our diagnostic criteria on research studies only, on scientific methods only, ignoring any other factors. And that's not something that we're doing at present. Thanks for your attention. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you liked it and we'll catch you next time.